Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. Hey, welcome. Good to be with you. Uh, my name is David. If you don't know me, if you haven't seen me before, uh, I'm the teaching pastor here uh, at the Zero Collective, of which New Life is a part. So it's just good to be with you. Uh, today's an extra special Father's Day for me because uh, this last week my wife and I got to announce that we're expecting baby number two. So <clears throat> pumped about that. Super excited. And uh, dads, I mean, it's you know this. This is the life. It's it's a unique role being dad, just like it's a unique role being mom. Uh, last night, just I was getting ready, so I was up a little bit later than usual. I came in to crawl into my bed, and my two-year-old son is laying there instead of me. And so I went, nope, this is not going to happen. So I picked him up, moved him over, put him back in his bed, climbed in. I woke up three hours later. He was in my bed. <laughs> that, does that ever happen to you? What I didn't tell you is I woke up because I kept getting kicked between the legs, which happened over and over and over. So I didn't sleep well. I'm tired this morning, and it's a good thing baby number two is on the way because there might not be a baby number three anymore. So I'm excited to be here. But let's jump in. Uh, This summer, this summer is going to be awesome, right? A lot of us are really looking forward to it. Uh, Things are going nuts right now. You know what I mean by that? Um, Things are going nuts. Outdoor stuff is going nuts. Can't find a camp spot, campsite, campground. Can't buy a camper or a boat or a jet ski. Or it's like like things that that were normal two years ago. It's like, oh, maybe we'll get something. You can't get them this year. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, demand is super high. People are going nuts. Vacations are planned out super far in advance. There's so many things that people are gearing up for. What it feels like to me this summer, because people just want to get away. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or do you feel this as well? Like, this summer, we're going to do something different. So I I wanted to ask you a question just to kind of get a conversation going today. And the question goes like this. Do you need a break this summer, or do you need an escape? Do you need a break? Is this something that like you just look forward to? It's going to be a recharge and a refresh for your soul. Like the break is like, I'm, I'm going to hit pause and I'm going to do something that fuels me and fosters me and growth and relationship with God and family stuff. Or are you looking for an escape? Like, are you running from something? Is there something that you, you are so tired of, you're so sick of, you're, you've had it, you're like, I'm done, I want to get out, I need an escape. I need an escape maybe from family, marriage, work, neighbors, school. What is it that's going on right now that maybe you're going, I'm ready for an escape? And here's why I ask you this question and why I ask it this way. How you answer this question is very important because it indicates something going on on a soul level. What I mean by that is this, it actually may, if you say I'm looking for an escape, there's something that I'm trying to run from right now. That actually functions like a blinking check engine light on your car. You've seen this, this picture before, right? Have you ever seen this pop up on your vehicle as you're driving? 
It'll pop up here in a second. The check engine light, you know what I'm talking about? This one, what I wish it said instead of check engine was just dollar signs. Like it lit up one to four, like Yelp. Like it's going to be either just a little bit, it's like a turn signal, or like just give somebody your keys and hand them the title. It's just not worth it. Not worth the headache, the heartache, the financial. I, I've had the four dollar signs before. I, I hate it. So I hate this light. When this light comes up on my car, I'm done. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. I hate engines. I hate motors. I love engines and motors that work properly. As soon as this comes up, I, I don't want anything to do with it. And so I'm looking to get out of it. But here's the thing. People are funny with this light. Some people ignore it. Some people don't do anything with it because isn't it true that oftentimes when this light comes up for the very first time, you can still drive your car. So here's how this works in, in real life. If we're talking soul level or relationship with God type of stuff, check engine lights will start coming on. So it goes like this. Uh, my marriage isn't doing super great right now. And it just seems off and it seems small or I've diagnosed. I know what the issue is, but I'm just going to ignore that. Or my relationship with my kids is off right now or my extended family. There, there's a piece of me that feels like I'm dying when I go to work during the week. Or there's a piece of me, I just feel stressed. Our family's just chaotic. Our schedules are packed. There's, there's things. When you say I'm running from something, I need an escape, that's like a flashing check engine light that, hey, something may not be right in your soul. And oftentimes we ignore that. But, but I'm here to just try and share with you or convince you or whatever. That may be, that may be one of the biggest mistakes you could make in your entire life is ignoring the check engine lights for your soul. I want to pose this as an argument for you today, that I believe the healthiest or the best thing that you bring to every single context of your life is a healthy soul. It's not your talents, it's not your gifts, it's not your time, it's not your energy, it's not your personality. The absolute best thing that you bring to every single context of your life is a healthy soul. And so we're going to talk about our souls today. We're going to talk about how healthy your soul actually is. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you'll be honest, not with the people around you, but with yourself, of how you are actually doing on a soul level. The psalm we're talking about, we're in this new series. This is week three. It's called Summer in the Psalms. And we're just picking a different psalm each week to unpack. And so today's psalm is actually probably going to be the most familiar psalm of all of them this summer to you because many of us have heard this psalm before uh, at a funeral. So the psalm I'm talking to you about today and we're going to unpack together is Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and so we're going to unpack that together. But, but here's what's interesting is Psalm 23 is often used at funerals to provide comfort and peace in life's most difficult moments. And you know what that's like, like when you're at a funeral and you've lost somebody unexpectedly or somebody that you love. Or, and so when the psalm is read, this psalm has a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. What I want to offer to you or maybe ask the question today is, is what if a proper understanding of this psalm could prevent a funeral in your life? What if it could prevent the, the funeral for your marriage? What if it could pre prevent the death of a relationship? What, what if it could prevent the death of a calling? What if it could prevent the death of your relationship with God? I think this psalm today has so much value and content and context that will speak just to you for your heart because I really believe there are people in this room and watching online right now 
that God wants to do something in your soul because he sees the check engine lights on in your life. And I really believe you do too. Uh, But don't be worried. Don't be nervous. It's going to be awesome. So let's read it together. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. It starts off like this. It says, the Lord, here it is, is my shepherd, and I lack, say it with me, nothing. Psalm 23 was written by King David. Most of the Psalms were written by King David a couple thousand years ago. He was king over all of Israel. That's what he's known for. David and Goliath, right? The same, same guy. But David, as he was younger, was not king. He was shepherd. David spent much of his time, most of his hours, most of his weeks and years, he was actually out in the fields taking care of flocks of sheep. And so God uh, had a, a king in place for Israel. His name was Saul. And so Saul um, wronged God, and Saul disqualified himself from leadership in God's kingdom. And so God said, I'm going to choose a new king, a new successor for him, and it is David. And so he sent this prophet over to David's family, and he says it's one of his sons. And so the prophet's going son by son by son by son by son, oldest to youngest, and David wasn't even invited to be a part of it. David, he was so put in the box by his family and by his father that you just take care of the sheep, that you're out in the fields, that he didn't invite him in when a prophet of God was among them. So they go through all of the sons, and and the prophet looks at David's dad, and he says, are these all of the sons that you have? And he goes, well, I got one more, but he's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He said, well, then bring him. And as David comes up, God speaks to this prophet, and he says, this is the man. This is who will be the next king. And so the prophet takes oil and he anoints David in front of his family, in front of his brothers, and he says, you will be the next king of Israel. And 15 years later is when it actually came to fruition. So as David writes this psalm, it's not early. It's not as a shepherd. In fact, it's later in life, towards the end of his life, as he's looking back. And it's like he's saying, I wasn't a king. King and shepherd weren't different. They were the same. I learned how to take care of a flock of sheep in my youth so that when God set me up later in life, I would take care of a flock of his people. Same job. So as he's reflecting on his life, and we're going to talk about it today, he's looking back and he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. David understands what it means to be a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I lack nothing. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 goes like this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So we're going to unpack this uh, verse by verse throughout. It's just six verses, so it'll go pretty quick. But also through the eyes of a a contemporary, modern-day Palestinian shepherd. And so here's one thing that he says as he's sharing his experience. Uh, Often in the West, in our American context, what do you picture when I say green pasture? Right? You picture like North Dakota, like just rolling hills and grass. It probably looks something like this, like just grassy, green, whatever. So often when we've read this Psalm 23 or it's read at different contexts of our life, this is what we picture. We may not have ever articulated it, but we say, yeah, of course, God leads me to green pastures like a buffet. Like I just have all I can eat. I can just roll around in it. I can eat forever. This is it. But in the context of a Middle Eastern shepherd, this doesn't exist. This does. This is a green pasture in Israel because we would walk and walk and walk and walk and walk to come finally to a place of provision. 
What makes a green pasture a green pasture is not an overabundance, but it is provision. Green pastures, as David is writing, he's saying, God was my leader. And often we were walking through the desert. We were walking through rocks and dirt and mud, longing for the grass that only he could provide. And when he did, it was like a green pasture because it was exactly what we needed. Here's what's funny is uh, in the Bible, God actually refers to us as sheep almost 200 times. Do you realize that? We as people are referred to as sheep almost 200 times in scripture and it's insulting. Do you realize that? It's insulting because sheep are not known for their brain capacity at all. Have you ever been to a circus or a farm or a petting zoo of which a sheep did anything spectacular? No, you've never seen a sheep do a trick. You've never seen a sheep defend itself. You've never seen a sheep run fast. You've never seen a sheep do very much of all, of anything, except just be. Do you know what I'm talking about? Here's an example. Sheep are so at risk. They're so vulnerable. They're so dumb. So like a shepherd can't just walk a sheep up to a river and allow them to drink. Do you know why? Because they're unaware. What are they made of? Wool. Is wool absorbent or water repellent? They will run headfirst into a flowing river. Their body will swell with water. They will sink to the bottom and die. And they'll do it one after another, after another, after another, after another. And they don't, you've heard this one before. You walk sheep up to a cliff. They'll jump right off. That one died. And the next one, oh, that looked fun. And the next one, and over and over. Sheep are so dumb that they are reliant on their shepherd for every single thing in there. And he prevents a death for them all the time, often of their own doing. So here's what's funny. God refers to us as sheep, but not as an insult, but to speak to the utter layer of dependence that we have upon him, regardless of what we think or believe about ourselves. Let's keep reading. Let's keep going on to the next verse here. Here's what it says, verse four. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this is the piece especially that is most prominent at funerals um, because you picture just a dark valley. There's a lot of mountains in the Middle East and especially in Israel. And so the most vulnerable place you could ever be um, as a, a traveler, as a passerby, as, as a sheep, whatever, is the valley. Because in the valley, everybody can see you. In fact, your enemy can surround you on all sides. Your enemy has the advantage. They have the higher ground. You can't escape. You're at the bottom of a bowl. And so here's what it's saying is, even though I, even though I walk through the darkest valley, so it's dark and it's dangerous and it's threatening and, and you're stuck and you're disadvantaged, even though all of that is true, it says, I will fear no evil. Do you know there's evil in the world? Do you know that there are people exist and principalities and authorities of darkness that want to destroy you? 
that want to hurt you, that want to cause pain, that want to rip your marriage apart, that want to rip your relationship with your kids apart, that want to strip you of your calling. There's the enemy that just seeks to kill and destroy you. And here's what it says. It says sheep like us, when they have a shepherd, they can walk through the darkest, most threatening, most dangerous valley that is full of death. Another translation says the valley of the shadow of death. As in death is so close, you can see its shadow. Even though I walk through it, I will fear no evil. Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, here's a rod and a staff. A staff is something that we're familiar with, right? It's got that long, it's the long stick with the hoop at the end. Uh, It's used to rescue sheep. Like sometimes they'll use it, they'll extend it out like the flat side and and they'll help correct like, okay, no, 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 steer this way, steer this way, steer this way. Like they, they use it to steer, but that hook piece is also made to like hook a sheep by the neck to draw them back in or to hook a sheep by the leg and pull them out. There's this video, I wish I would have showed it to you, uh, that was going around social media a couple weeks ago, but it's a sheep that got stuck. There's like a crevice in the ground and the sheep jumped head first into the crevice and it's, it is wedged, it's done. Like it's, it will die if nobody helps it. So it's stuck. So the shepherd comes and he grabs it by the leg and he pulls the sheep out and he rescues the sheep. The sheep is overjoyed and excited and is bouncing, you know, and you watch, it's all on video. One, two, three bounds, flying leap, head first, right back into the same crack. It's like, are you kidding me? This is sheep. So the shepherd has a tool for sheep to hook them, to rescue them, to save them over and over and over again. But the rod is something totally different. The rod was never used for the sheep. The rod was used for the enemies of the sheep. It was like a club. So think about David as David's growing up and he's in the fields and he's taking care of his sheep. David has a tool to help care for and prepare and protect and, and, and correct and lead his sheep. But then he also has a tool to fight the enemies of the sheep. And something I just think is cool, something you ought to know about God is this. That weapon is not a weapon for far away. That weapon is for up close. That that weapon is for the shepherd to engage the enemy face to face. So so as David's writing this, and, and David has valleys in his life. David has utter moments of brokenness. I'll share in, in just a second. That, that some of us don't understand, but some of us do understand. The, left, the, the depth and level of pain and hurt and brokenness and fear. And, and David is reflecting and saying, even though I was in the valley, even though I was surrounded, even though I was vulnerable, I feared no evil because I looked at my shepherd and I knew he had a tool for me and he had a tool for my enemy. And he promised to protect me. And, and it gives me comfort That's the type of shepherd that God is. Let's keep reading here. Let's go to the next verse. Verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is so cool. It's it's a unique part. When sheep would come up to a pasture, like I showed you, one of their biggest enemies was vipers. It was snakes. And snakes would would bury themselves. They'd they'd have holes in the ground. And so before the shepherd would allow the sheep to come and graze, the shepherd would come into the pasture and he would take a flask of olive oil and he would dump olive oil down every hole so that the snake could not escape out of the hole. 
And then he would go to every sheep and he would anoint their heads. He would pour owl on their nose so that it was dripping to protect the sheep and where they were grazing from animals and enemies like vipers. So imagine this being a shepherd. You've walked through, you know that there are hazards and enemies everywhere and you've taken care of them. And your sheep, totally unbeknownst to them, come into great. They're just hungry. They're not thinking about anything. They're not doing anything. They're like, woohoo! And they jump right in and they are feasting in the presence of their enemies, totally unaware. David is saying that's what kind of God we have. Sometimes I wonder if we ever even had a clue what God has protected and saved us from. I doubt it. And and most of us live such comfortable, risk-free lives, if you think about it. And God has gone before us and has protected us and provided for us and, and then feeds us, cares for us, ministers to us in the very presence of our enemies. That's the kind of shepherd that he is. David's reflecting on this. And then at the end of the day, here's what they would do, is is the shepherd would gather the sheep together, and the shepherd would go sheep to sheep to sheep to sheep to sheep, and he would look for wounds, and he would look for sickness, and he would look for disease, and he would look for broken bones or scrapes or blood. He would look for all of it, and he would personally tend to every single sheep. And this cup that overflows, if a sheep didn't get enough nourishment, or if it was struggling, or if it was hurting, or if it had a bad day, whatever it was, the shepherd would provide a cup of nutrition, of medicine, of food, of water. The shepherd would provide it, and sometimes the animal would eat or drink it so quickly that it would dip its entire head into it, and it would overflow. God is like that. That he says, I don't, I don't give you a bare minimum. I don't just do enough. I lead you to a place of provision, and then I care for you, and I minister to you, and I mend your wounds, and I help heal your brokenness, and then I provide. I see more lack. I'm going to provide exactly what you need, but it's going to overflow in my provision because that's the kind of shepherd I am. And then it says this in verse 6. It says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It took six verses for David to capture the heart of God and how God has led him and shepherded him through his life. It just makes me want to ask you this question, and the question goes like this. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Uh, A lot of us like to say Jesus, right? That's the churchy answer. If you grew up in church, you know 98% of the time, if you say Jesus, you got the right answer, right? Those that grew up in church, amen? Thank you. If you're not from church, if you didn't grow up in church, there you go, 98% of the time in the future. Just say Jesus and you'll win. Who's your shepherd? Most of us want to say Jesus, but if we're really being honest, it's you. If we're really being honest, because this is church, most of us, function in the role of our own shepherd in our lives. What do I mean by that? Let me articulate it. When I am my own shepherd, I make the decisions in my life. I'm in charge. I weigh the positive, the negative, the pros, the kind of, I make the decisions. When I am my own shepherd, I decide who I can trust. 
I decide who I let in. I decide who I push out. I decide. I'm in control. I'm in charge. When I am my own shepherd, I determine my own need. In America, holy cow, do we have that problem. And we over and self-medicate in a variety of different ways. We fill ourselves with entertainment or food or self-medication, whatever it is. We determine our own need and then do something about it. When I am my own shepherd, I provide for myself. So I go out and get it. I carry the shouldered responsibility of provision for myself. If I lack, it's up to me to go find and to go get. And then this last one, I am my first priority. Because if I'm not, then I'm nobody's priority. This is, this is the independent life. We celebrate 4th of July every single year because it's the day of independence. And yet almost 200 times throughout scripture, God refers to us as sheep, one of the most dependent animals on the planet. He says, that's, that's how I see you. That's who you are. You need me. Some of you say, well, what's wrong with me being my own shepherd? It's done, I've done pretty well. It's gotten me here thus far. I'm happily married. I got a good relationship with my kids. I'm here at church, blah, blah. What else do you want from me? I've done a pretty good job. Here's what I would say to you. I'd say it like this. If this is your mentality, if this is how you live, it will eventually cost you on a soul level. If that's truly your approach, if you truly believe I can do it myself, it will eventually blow up your life. I promise. In my role, I see it all the time. I see divorces. I, I, I see dads and moms walking out on their families. I, I see people throwing their lives away. I see addictions. I, I see family implosions and explosions. I, I, I see people leave church. I see people just do wicked and evil things. If you are your own shepherd, I promise you, it will cost you some day on a soul level. But it's like a check engine light. It's kind of one of those, I mean, you might sit here and go, well, I disagree. I'm fine. I've done it well. I've seen other people in my life do well. Sometimes that check engine light can stay on for a long, long time and you don't notice anything wrong. You know what my dad used to do? It's really funny. He was very mechanically inclined. Uh, and so we lived in Illinois for a season. We had this thing where they test your emissions on your vehicles, um, which is just dumb. I just hate that. So they test it, and if you fail, then you have to go fix it and spend a bunch of money. So here's, here's what my dad did. Uh, it was pretty clever. He knew engines. He, he was good at them. So he bought his own little personal computer that he could plug into his vehicle. And on the way to the place where they test it, he would just plug in his computer, and he would hit erase, and it would wipe all of the codes, and the light would go off. Kind of unique, right? I was like, that's pretty smart. Um, it's pretty smart, except that the check engine light exists for a reason. So he would do it. There was one time he forgot to do it. He pulled into the driveway of this place. He's waiting in line. He goes, oh, no, I'm going to fail this test because my light's on. So he plugs in his computer, and he wipes it right then and there, pulls it out, stuffs the thing. The guy comes over, and he goes, okay, I need to check your codes. Plugs in his computer, and he's like, oh, that's really weird. This never happened before. Uh, unplugs it, plugs it back in, and he runs it again. And he goes, 
Sir, something might be wrong with your vehicle. There is literally no code on here at all. Like, there's zero. And my dad's sitting there going, uh, uh, I don't Can I just do the test? Yeah, sure. Let's just do the test. But that's weird. You should get that checked out. My dad wiped it and wiped every bit of memory from the car that it was undetectable to somebody else who was looking for a problem. We do this in life. We put on a happy face or we do X, Y, Z thing that makes us look good, look like we have it together, things are fine. But then deep down on an engine soul level, something is majorly wrong and we forget or we get used to it or we get calloused by it. And so over time, the problem gets worse and it starts affecting other things. And when we get used to it, we ignore it and it eventually costs us on a soul level. Let me tell you what happened to David, King David. God was so for him at the beginning of his life, it was unbelievable. God was for him his entire life. But what happened or what changed with David is David was anointed. 15 years later, he becomes king. He's leading as king. And so he's going into battle and God is with him in every single battle, right? His first battle, he shows up, David and Goliath slays the giant in front on behalf of the entire nation. I mean, unbelievable, wild, crazy. God was for him. Battle after battle after battle, God was with him. Politically, God was with him. Relationally, God was with him. There was nothing David could do that people didn't look at him and go, holy smokes, God is on your side. You never lose. There was a season of David's life that after success and success and success, what David did is David began withdrawing. He began with escaping a problem, a check engine light that was going on in his heart. And so all of his men go off to battle. They're off fighting, and David hangs back. David makes a bad decision. He puts himself in a situation that he could fall into temptation like that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was distancing, and it was about to cost him on a soul level. So watch how quickly distance and escaping on a soul level led to this. Here's what happened. Very shortly, he had an affair right after he committed murder. After that, he lost control of his family, and his kids continued to do unspeakable things to each other. One of them even tried overthrowing David's reign, so his own father. So David ran away and hid, and the rest of his life followed that type of trajectory. At the beginning, he couldn't lose And at the end, he withdrew and he escaped and he made some decisions that distanced himself relationally in his heart from God and his life fell apart. I just want to say, if it can happen to David, it can definitely happen to all of us. So I want to ask you just an honest question. Just like I told you at the beginning, my my prayer for you is that you'd first be honest with yourself. How's your soul doing today? How is your soul actually doing? You got any check engine lights on? Marriage, kids, parents, extended family, siblings, work, church, What about just like tired, exhausted, lonely, isolated? 
What check engine light is on in your soul? Have you been honest with yourself? Have you been honest with yourself? Would God agree with your answer? How's your soul doing today? Here's, this is an excerpt from that shepherd I was sharing earlier that was just talking about his reflection on Psalm 23 as he reads it. Here's what he says right towards the end. He says, as undignified as my profession is, it still amazes me that God compares himself to a shepherd and his people to sheep. I can see the truth in it, though. After all, he meets our needs by providing the necessities of life, by guiding us each and every day, by protecting us. I guess we would be as content and at peace as my sheep if we would just learn to trust and follow him, even if we don't understand where he's leading or what he's doing in our lives. If we would just trust him and follow him, we would be satisfied. You have a shepherd in your heavenly father on this Father's Day that longs to lead you, who longs to be your dad. I was talking to my brother last night who was at my house, and we have a decent amount of brokenness in our immediate family, and so we were unpacking different things with like our parents, siblings, and other family brokenness. And, and one thing I said to him before he left is, I said, Ben, I just feel like God put this on my heart to tell you that God is your heavenly father. That God is, is excited and willing and longing to step in and fill the gaps in your life that others have created. And it's not an indictment on anyone else, but what God can do for you cannot be replaced by anyone else. And so we have a heavenly father who longs to be your shepherd, who longs to lead you and to provide for you and to protect you and to care for you and to minister to you and to know you and to speak to you. When I read my Bible and it says God spoke and God led and God moved and the Holy Spirit showed up, I want that to be my life. I don't want to do church to do church as a religion. I, I want church to be a part of my relationship with God in which God leads and moves and speaks and it makes a difference to the point that nobody can deny it. That's the life I want. What life do you want? Because if you will let him lead you, it'll change your life. It'll change your life forever if you will let him. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But in October of last year, I had a bunch of check engine lights on. Um, I had a number of them. I was really sarcastic. Uh, I was pretty snarky. Cynicism was an easy default for me. I was really tired. Um, especially parents, you know, there's like a level of exhaustion that your kids provide. Um, that's just not a gift. It's just like I just can't even function. That's why I started drinking coffee. Um, and I drink like a 40-ounce for the start of my day, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? There's a level of exhaustion and cynicism and, and also anxiety. Um, there's a lot of anxiety that was bubbling in my life. There was isolation that was showing up. I was restless. Um, my relationship with God felt distant. And then this, this was a big one. Um, I was working a ton and I no longer felt like I was bringing 100% of David to anybody. 
nobody in my life was getting 100%. Work was not getting 100%. My wife was not getting 100%. My son was not getting 100%. My extended family, not getting even close to 100%. There was nobody in my life that was receiving 100%, including God. And so I went on this retreat and I was about an hour away from arriving. And I asked God, I, I turned my music down and I said, why am I here? Because I don't want to be here. You feel far off, you feel distant. I haven't heard from you in a long time. I just, what? I don't want to be here. And I felt clear as day, like God spoke to my heart and he said, David, I want to minister to your soul. And I'll be super straight with you. That sounds spiritual. That sounds fuzzy. It's like, oh, pastor. <laughs> I don't even know what that meant. I'm like, what do you mean you want to minister? Isn't there something I'm supposed to do? No, I want to minister to your soul. And I tell you what, those next three days changed the course of my life forever. There were four people with the gift of prayer and prophecy that were there, that whose one, their number one job was to say, okay, Father, speak through us the words that you want David to hear. And what God spoke changed my life forever. I mean, he spoke to things from my past, things from my history, things in my heart, things that I haven't articulated or shared or told anybody. God spoke. He said, I want to lead you. And I love you. And I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to protect for you. And I'm surrounding you. And I'm with you. And I'm for you. And I believe in you. And I bless you. God, God spoke in such a way that was so tangible, so powerful, so unbelievable. And it changed the direction of my life forever. And here's what I want to tell you. God wants to do that for you. If you'll let him. If you'll let him. I have four things that I'm just, we're going to throw all four up on the screen at the same time. Take a picture of this. These are different ways that you can hear from God and create an environment where he can do that same thing for you. First one, pray with your small group. Find a small group. Build a small group. Your family is, I haven't heard from him, maybe ever, but, it, but definitely not in a long time. So let's do that right now and then we'll close in worship. Father, we just come before you right now and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place, that you would minister to the hearts and the souls in this room because we know, Father, that the best thing we bring to every context of our lives is a healthy soul. Father, minister to us, speak to us, uh, talk to us. Father, let us, let us hear you lead us, protect us, inspire us. Father, there are people in this room right now that are just desperate for you, and so I pray that you would meet them in the way that only you know how. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's something they need to hear, something that you need to confirm, something that you need to, to invite them to step into, something you just want to whisper to their hearts that you love them. Father, somebody, maybe everybody in this room, craves that from you right now. So do what only you can do. We love you, we trust you, and we will be obedient to you. Do a work through your Holy Spirit. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen.